Hello, I am back with my interview with Lucy Best. So I introduced Lucy in the last episode as we dived into learning about solar energy, solar power, and what you need to know if you're thinking about a solar system for your home. So if you haven't checked out part one of our conversation, make sure that you stop listening now to this one and you head back to the most recent episode uh, and listen to that first because this is part two. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together, we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, in the last episode, Lucy and I began our conversation about solar energy and solar systems for your home. Lucy Best is the Community Engagement Lead for the Moreland Energy Foundation Limited, and I spoke about how they run a program called Positive Charge. So the Moreland Energy Foundation Limited, or MEFL, is an independent not-for-profit organisation and they're dedicated to tackling climate change and committed to accelerating the energy transition by empowering communities to take action. And they work hard to ensure that communities can play a meaningful part in this transition and that no one gets left behind. Now, the MEFL, they're a trusted educator, partner, advisor and service provider, and they see that their job is to build partnerships that demonstrate what's possible and to give the right advice and make sure people have access to the information and technology they need to take action. Their customers include councils, businesses, schools, community groups and members of the community. The program, Positive Charge, helps individuals and community access independent knowledge and advice for selecting a suitable solar system for their building or for your home, finding a reputable installer and assessing quotes to make sure that you're getting the best outcome for your budget and your home. So you're able to access Positive Charge's services. It's at no cost. It's independent and impartial and they can help connect you with uh, supplies that they've audited and that um, they can also help assess whether the quotes that you're getting are realistic and whether they're a good fit for your project. Now Lucy herself regularly delivers workshops and information sessions to a range of community groups and individuals and you'll see as if you listen to the last episode you'll know that she's a complete treasure trove of information and knowledge when it comes to solar energy and solar systems and that definitely continues in this episode. Now, in the last episode, we ran through various things about understanding what the solar components are, um, how to go about selecting panels and understanding how many panels you might need, how they sort of rate different panel performance. We looked at the inverters, the battery systems, and just understanding generally how those components can work together and what you need to assess so that you can determine what's going to be the right Uh, solution for your home and whether going off grid is a good option for you, uh, what type of, um, well, how many how many panels you might actually need based on your home's energy use. You know, we sort of gave you the nuts and bolts of thinking about the system itself and the various components that go into it. Now, as I said, if you haven't listened to that episode, stop now, go back. It'll give you a really good grounding to be able to continue on to this episode, part two, and uh, and give you some really fantastic information about selecting solar systems. Now, 
In this episode, Lucy continues to share some fantastic knowledge and information and to answer some of those most common questions that I receive from the UA community when it comes to solar energy systems and solar power systems and choosing them when you're renovating or building. So in this episode, we talk about what you need to know uh, about where you need where you're going to put the panels on your roof. Now, this is a big question that I get because when your roof faces the wrong direction, uh, or perhaps it doesn't have a steep pitch, or there's not a lot of space, then many can think that that means that solar isn't possible for them. So Lucy shares how panels need to be positioned in terms of their orientation, uh, and in and looking at the pitch of them, so how steep they are, so that you can really determine how efficient they're going to be. And then she also shares some workarounds. Uh, for you to create a solution uh, for your place and what to consider when you're designing your roof from scratch as well and you want to incorporate solar because that's obviously the opportunity to make sure that you get it working as efficiently as possible. We also talk about some of the requirements for your actual roof structure itself, so the structure that's holding your roof up so that that can adopt uh, panelling at some point, the solar panels, uh, whether you're using tile or metal, what you need to know. And we look at what to do if your budget is tight and you can only afford a small system and uh, what to think about in that regard. Lucy also shares some really great tips about how to find a reputable installer and the types of questions to ask them. And we talk about some of those new technologies. So you may have seen Tesla has got a solar tile. Um, There's a couple of Australian companies that are selling solar tiles. So if you've been looking at whether you're replacing your entire roof and you're looking at perhaps choosing a solar tile instead uh, in an effort to get solar power into your home, Lucy uh, shares some really great tips and information to consider when it comes to that type of selection and she's also got some really awesome resources uh, that she can recommend for us to check out when we're trying to get more information also some forums and uh, good information groups that we can join to discuss uh, installers and problem you know troubleshooting and all of those types of things when it comes to selecting solar systems for your home. And I'll also have all those resources plus more information on how to get access for support and advice in choosing a solar system for your home. Uh, They'll be in the show notes and they'll also be on the blog post for this podcast on Undercover Architects website. So make sure that you head there and check out those links. They can provide some really great additional information for you if you're wanting to nut out this for yourself. So let's dive into part two. Can we talk a bit about the panel positions themselves in terms of, I suppose, the orientation of the panels, the angles that they need to be mounted on? You know, if you've only got a skillion roof that rakes up to the north, that only faces south, you know, um, a lot of people immediately dismiss that solar is even possible for them because it just won't be able to have any efficiency about it. But then others, you know, say, well, no, that's not the advice that I'm getting. How, how do you recommend people go about finding out the suitability of their roof for being able to fit solar or if they're designing a roof, how they need to think about what to design in order to get solar to work well on their roof? Yeah. So obviously if you're designing, it's a bit easier, but if you're talking about an existing roof, then usually when you sign up for a quote or you phone in for a quote, the suppliers pull up your house on a software program called Nearmap, which is like Google Earth, except that it takes pictures at different times of the day at different times of the year. So from that, they can see any seasonal variations, for example, deciduous trees that might cause shading at certain times of the year or even a a chimney or an air conditioning unit that has shading depending on where the sun is. So they can get quite a lot of that information and see how much sun actually hits your roof year round. So they'll make those recommendations based on that. Uh, You mentioned about south facing roof. So obviously the sun rises in the east, moves around the north and sets in the west. So it gets the sun 
on the east facing roof in the morning, the west facing roof in the afternoon, but the north year round is going to get sun. However, because so so traditionally, especially when there were higher feeding tariffs, people would want to put it on the north because that's when it's going to generate the most. But when you're thinking about using that power and trying to maximize using the power when it's generating, we're actually increasingly seeing people putting them on the east and the west intentionally, knowing that that's when they're home. They're not home in the middle of the day. Gotcha. So it's not it's, it's not a hard and fast rule. And even on a south facing roof, you would expect some generation, but not much. And some suppliers won't actually install on south because they just know the payback is going to be that much longer. That that's a reputational risk for them if people say, "Well, this, I'm not getting much from my system." But you know, there's still UV around, so it would still capture some light. Um, and then in, in terms, terms of, of the angle, angle yep. yeah. So uh, we get this question come up a bit where there's a flat roof that gets sun kind of throughout the day, and people say, "Well, why can't I just put the panels?" But the, the short answer is, if they're on an angle, the rain cleans them. <laughs> so that's why ideally they're on an angle. Okay. Um, and most if the, uh, most roofs that are sort of a 35 degree angle, the solar panels are just put on the pitch of the roof. But anywhere between 10 and 45 degrees, or sort of 10 and 35 degrees, is going to is going to have a pretty good uptake of solar light going onto it. Used to have more considerations around the width of the light, so where it would come. So for example. The sun's in the east, but it can still hit a north-facing panel. And that used to be a lot narrower. The, the newer panels, that's another way in which they've increased in efficiency is they can actually collect light from, from different angles. Okay. So, so your, for example, your east-facing roof, as the sun moves around to the north, is still going to be able to capture some of that light. Um, but, yeah, so usually the panels are just put on the pitch to the roof because uh, it's easier. If if it's a flat roof and then a frame needs to be built, then the tilt frames often put at about 20%, put, sorry, 20 degrees. Okay, all right. Um, and in terms of the roof structure itself, so you mentioned before if there's tiles, they build a frame on top in terms of, um, you know, a metal roof that can be directly fixed to the roof itself. Obviously, if the pitch is a very shallow pitch, then the frame may need to be built up anyway. Is there anything that any, you know, in terms of the weight of the panels or anything like that, anything that needs to be taken into consideration um, you know, running wiring, all of those types of things in terms of perhaps when this gets done and sort of strategies about, um, you know, people that might be renovating or remodeling when they're pulling their roof off and putting it back on, you know, sort of that staging of work. What do you recommend people understand in terms of applying solar to, to their roof spaces? So, so firstly, if the roof is not structurally sound, then don't do it. <laughs> The panels weigh about the panels weigh about sixteen kilos each, so okay. they're quite heavy. So when you're talking about having sort of sixteen or twenty panels on your roof, that's quite a bit of weight. It's spread out; it's not all kind of bam in one go. So as long as the roof is structurally sound, it's it's designed to hold that weight. Um, if there's any repairs needed, then do them first. If you are going to be doing some renovations or changing the roof in the coming years, there are you can get the panels taken off get the roof fixed and put back on but of course there's all the labor costs involved in that so um if it's if it's imminent the renovations or the roof changes then wait till it's all done and dusted okay now um there was i just suppose i wanted to go through we've covered a lot of ground in terms of you know types of things to understand read your warranties those types of things are there any big mistakes that you people see people make i mean you speak with community a lot in your role um 
assumptions that people make that are wrong or things that, you know, really you see really surprise homeowners about, you know, the accessibility of solar um, or things that they're just not aware of in those conversations that you have with them about using solar energy? Yeah, I mean, there's a few really basic ones. Like uh, it's amazing how many people don't understand that the power is free while it's generating. Uh, so that even people who already have systems, having that quick explainer is always worthwhile. Um, another thing is that we get calls from people who will say that the system isn't generating as much as it said on their quote. But what the suppliers do is they'll give you an average across the year. So they'll say, for example, they'll say a five kilowatt system will generate an average of around 11.5 kilowatt hours per day. So in winter, it might only be five. But in summer, it might be up to 22 on certain days. So they're averaging it out. Um, so there's that seasonal variation. And it means that if you put your if you put a system on now, for example, your first bill, you're going to have much larger savings than you will in your winter bill because you won't have generated as much. So, again, it's one of those things that seems quite straightforward and obvious. But if you haven't already thought about it, then you get the bill and you think, what's going on here? So it's sort of one of those things to remember. The other thing that happens um, is that we, of course, say use your power during the day, but then people turn everything on all at once. And although your, although your system will generate a certain amount of kilowatt hours per day, it's not generating them all at the same time. So, um, again, that's why smart meters are quite good, because you can get a good understanding of what when you're using power and figure out what it is that's using the power. But, for example, something like a kettle uses a lot of power, but only for a very short amount of time. But people get up in the morning and they use the kettle and the toaster and maybe the microwave and there's a quite a big kind of draw all in one go. Uh, and it might be that although the sun was shining, it wasn't generating enough to power everything all at once. So that's another area where it's good to try and stagger. So, um, you know, put the dishwasher on and then the washing machine later rather than everything all at once, depending on your system size. Okay. And I suppose if you only had a limited budget, that meant that you at this stage all you could afford is you know a very simple system that's not going to do all of your energy you know requirements how do you protect yourself I mean this technology is changing so rapidly that's what I've personally seen um, you know I, I did my degree at the University of New South Wales that had the solar research and I think about what we learned about solar power over 20 years ago compared to the and the you know the panels and the efficiency compared to what and that's only a couple of decades. The rate of improvement in this industry is just extraordinary. How do people protect themselves against obsolescence, I suppose, in these systems? If, if they can only spend a certain amount now and they want to set up something um, that they can then add to down the track, is there anything in particular they should look at or to protect themselves against that or things that they just shouldn't buy or shouldn't worry about just yet um, in how well, that all works? I think the, the first thing to say is I've never heard anyone say, oh, I wish I hadn't got solar then. I wish I'd waited. So, you know, this is, as I said before, this is the same technology that's been around since the sort of 70s and 80s. It's, it's just that it has improved. So if you had a system that you'd had for 25 years and you had all that savings, you might decide to upgrade it. But it doesn't mean that that was a waste of money because you had all that savings. And actually about 80 percent of the components can be recycled now. So there's a there's an Australian organisation called Reclaim PV. So uh, you know if you were if you had an old system that you're going to replace, they can organise that for you. Uh, and then there's the people who put systems on ten years or so ago, where they were about three or four times the cost they are now. So they had much smaller systems, 
but those systems have already paid for themselves and saved them. So, but what we're seeing is instead of adding to an existing system, some people are opting to put a second system on. So particularly if you're on a rural property, then you would just have a, se a separate system. But if you're grid connected, then you might have more than one phase going into your house. So you could have a different PV system for each phase. Um, what do you mean by that? So, uh, so it's, you don't see it very often in homes, but if people have quite kind of industrial air conditioning or swimming pool pumps and things like that, they might have more than one electrical phase going into, the, into their house. And when you put solar on, you have to allocate which phase it goes to. So you might say, well, the pool pump goes all day, so we'll put the solar connected to that. And then in three years' time, you might say, well, let's get another system and connect it to the power at the house. And, uh, and I just thought of something before about the batteries in terms of the idea of the home of the future is with electric cars coming through, the new Nissan electric car, Leaf, you can actually use that battery in your home, the battery in the car. So I think that's another thing to watch out for is um, instead of, we may see that instead of people getting batteries for their home, they get cars that can, they can use the batteries. Wow. <laughs> yeah. This is next level, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exciting. It's exciting times. And it has to happen. The change has to happen. Yeah. It's like, honey, can you hurry system. home? The house needs your car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, um, I, I think it's, it is, it's really exciting. And, and I also know how overwhelming it is because there does seem a lot of technology associated with it. And it does feel, feel like it's changing at such a rapid rate. But I think your point about the fact that this is technology that's been around for a very long time and really the changes are about making it more and more efficient so that I suppose we can generate more our power needs with less, you know, less panels, less, you know, um, bulky sort of systems in terms of just how, how accessible this can become and, of course, the cost coming down over time as well. So in your work, are you seeing, what are you seeing sort of around the uptake of solar power, particularly in residential projects? Are you seeing that this is really, really gaining momentum? Yeah. So the biggest change is that we're seeing people put much bigger systems on. So a three kilowatt system used to be considered quite a big system. And now most people are putting on five or even six kilowatts. Some distributors will have restrictions on the size system that you can put on because they want to be able to manage the voltage of power coming into the grid. Uh, but even in those instances, it's usually a five kilowatt system is the maximum. So that's quite a big system. Uh, so that's kind of the biggest changes we're seeing bigger systems. But it's also it's no longer the early adopters. You know, on the on the bell curve, it's now it's a bit more mainstream. And I do think that's largely because solar is visible. People see it on roofs and think, oh, you know, there must be something in this. Is there still a lot of conversation about rebates and what am I going to get back for this and payback periods and those types of things? Yeah, well, especially because in the build-up to an election. <laughs> um, so there's what there were government rebates a few years ago, and then that got replaced with STCs, which are small-scale technology certificates. And the STC program was always designed to be phased out. So it's got about 12 years left, and they're dropping in price as they phase out. But essentially what it was was it was a market for certificates that proved that you were generating clean energy. So, for example, a, a distributor might buy them. There was a marketplace. A distributor might buy them in order to offset some of, the, some of their carbon emissions. But they went down in price as they're being phased out. They also went down in price because the huge uptake in solar that no one had predicted. So they were sitting at a market value of about uh, $36. And suppliers, when they were doing quotes, would 
it, it was a line item that looked like a rebate because it was sort of the easiest way to explain it. And it was a deduction off the total cost. And at one point they dropped down to $26 per SGC. So obviously the, the suppliers were going to lose money if they were paying you 35. Um, it's stabilized now, but it is being phased out. So there's sometimes there's a bit of a hurry, hurry rebates ending. It's not a lie, but it's not real a real rush. We've got 12 years. It's kind of it's a, they're only adding about 100 to 200 dollars onto the system, the price of the full system. Um, so that's one part of rebate. And then, as I said, in the build-up to an election, there's a lot of discussion. So in Victoria, the Victorian government are actually offering additional rebates. Um, and yeah, I think hopefully, as climate change becomes a bit less of a, a party debate governments will be a bit more keen to offer rebates and incentives yeah i think it's um i think too you know when the first sort of systems enabled you to feed back into the grid and you were getting the same rate on your bill um, as you were paying for your power and then obviously that's changed over time as well so i think for homeowners who are obviously wanting to take up the idea of solar um there it's it's not necessarily a quick economic kind of win decision it is very much that understanding of this is something that over time is going to be worthwhile and we're doing it for other reasons as well as our hip pocket this is about you know our our belief that that the environment needs us to be behaving better in terms of how we use our energy that this isn't just an empty um, you know bottomless bucket that there is um, an opportunity for us to have an impact through the choices that we make and you know our home is one of those choices and how we power our home is one of those choices so you know I say homeowners that I speak to they have a myriad of reasons for why they're wanting to make the decision about solar and it's um and so it's really just pulling all of those pieces together about you know how much is this going to cost me what is it going to save me um what is that worth to me in terms of my personal values and my personal beliefs and you know that it's this really multi-layered um, decision making process so i think it's really fascinating to see um, and it's fantastic to see that the uptake is increasing that we've got a much more high level of consciousness around the importance of this um, and the, the, the accessibility that, um, and, ab and ability of our choices to actually make a difference in, in this overall. So it is one of those things that's definitely, I can see the impact is, um, is really increasing. Yeah. And it's coming down in price. So it's making it easier for those people who weren't quite convinced. Yeah. I have a, I have a slide when I do presentations um, and it's got an image of the earth with an eye heart and an earth and it's got a piggy bank. <laughs> and I explain that that's because those those are the two main reasons that people are keen on solar and those two reasons are valid. And then later on in my presentation, I have the same slide, but it has the I heart the earth, the piggy bank and a stick it to the man. <laughs> and I say, these are the reasons people want to get batteries and none of them are quite there yet. <laughs> Sprung. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's really uh, this has been a fantastic conversation in terms of understanding the, I suppose what what part of that conversation needs to have its the biggest kind of weighting. You know, it's that it's like you say, if this is just about um, getting frustrated with energy generally and with the suppliers and with you know frustrations around how they might be servicing you as a customer and just wanting to be rid of them that's not necessarily going to support the growth of um of solar overall because it's going to mean that energy bills are going to get higher for those people that can't necessarily afford solar like i love that you brought that into the conversation in terms of just the socialist kind of aspect of this and how how we can really be thinking about this far more globally than our individual house with our individual solar system on it 
Now, in terms of resources um, that you recommend people check out, of course, we're going to put all sorts of resources for you guys into the blog because you have some amazing things on your website in terms of information and um, knowledge that homeowners can tap into. What other resources do you recommend that homeowners check out to help inform themselves about solar energy and um, selections of systems and those types of things? So um, the Clean Energy Council have a website, CEC, and that's where you can see accredited suppliers and retailers. So that's a good place to check about their accreditation. Um, there's also Your Home, which is actually from Sustainability Victoria, but it's a very useful useful resource. It's a it's an online book where you can buy the book, and so that's good for the whole picture, all the energy efficiency. Obviously, the Our Energy Future website and the Positive Charge website, which is basically it's branded as Our Energy Future in New South Wales, but it's Positive Charge in Victoria. That's got lots of advice. Uh, the ATA is also a fantastic resource, the Alternative Technology Association, and they produce two magazines a year. And one is kind of the high-end, you know, beautifully designed architectural homes with sustainability in mind, and that's kind of future thinking. And the other one is is called Renew, and it's much more about the technology and the things that we can do. And there'll be people in there who've done um, DIY projects, for example. One of my favorites, this was a few years ago now, but there was a man who had taken the tiles off his roof, replaced it with a color bond roof, and then put the tiles under his house and wrapped them in tarp and had an extractor fan drawing the air from in between the tiles into the house. And that was his air conditioning system. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> exactly. But it's brilliant. But, yeah. so, but, so, so one of their magazines has things like that. And the other one has just, you know, gorgeous, inspiring homes that are made from recycled timbers and low VOC paints and they have solar and passive heating and cooling and all those things so they they're both wonderful for very different reasons and then the ATA has a website and has lots of forums as well so you can go in there and ask people what their experience was with particular inverters or suppliers it's a good resource there's of course this whirlpool but I'm always a bit hesitant to recommend people look at whirlpool because it's often just someone soapboxing um, and sometimes you'll find that it's one person that had a bad experience and they're the person who's vocal on Whirlpool, whereas actually there were hundreds of other people who had a pretty good experience. And so it's not it's not as well researched as something like the ATA. Yeah, I find Whirlpool can be a bit of a rabbit hole, actually, of just who's the squeakiest wheel. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, um, you mentioned with the with finding reputable installers. So it's obviously checking um, the clean energy website. Um, checking those warranties to see what they're actually um, covering and what the expectation is in terms of the drop-off of the system. Is there anything else that you recommend you ask installers to really test that they're going to be reputable and, you know, um, the right right people for you to be seeking advice from? I mean, I think those are the main things, but there is a, there is a track record. It's good, it's good to know how long they've been around and what their track record is. We do also have suppliers. We do a procurement that we can recommend and get quotes for people from those suppliers. And if you get quotes from other people and sort of it's unclear why, why there's a difference, you can call our team and we'll kind of help you work out what some of that is. But, yeah, we, we, the things we look at are Clean Energy Council accredited as both a retailer and a supplier, uh, the warranties, the value for money, so not the cheapest systems but good value for good quality systems the longevity of the company and from our perspective we also need people who can handle the volume of inquiries because we work with councils throughout victoria and new south wales but um there are some for your listeners there are plenty of smaller companies that are, are very very good and have a great reputation and offer really good systems it's just that they we don't work with them because they couldn't handle the volume gotcha all right 
And lastly, just to ask you about some of the new technology that's coming through. So, for example, um, Tesla and their their roof tiles that are solar panels. And I know that there's um, there's inline solar panels that actually are a replacement for roofing that um, are available in some parts of Australia as well. What are, what's the position of you guys in terms of looking at this new technology um, in terms of us actually choosing a roof that is a solar panel rather than choosing a roofing product and then putting solar panels over the top of it? So again, if it's an existing roof, it's going to be much cheaper to just put solar panels on top of it than to replace the whole roof with solar tiles. Uh, I did speak to someone that came to one of the info sessions who'd had a quote for a solar tile roof, and he said installing a new roof, it worked out not that much more expensive, slightly more expensive, but not that much more expensive than putting on a new roof and then putting solar on. The thing with the roof tiles is that um, the tiles are sort of the size of a tile, a regular roof tile, and the solar cell is only a small percentage of it in the middle. So although you think, well, that's my whole roof covered in solar, it's not. It might still be the same amount as having 16 panels on a, on a regular roof. Um, so I, I think it's one of those things, again, it's an emerging technology. There are only a couple of companies that offer it. There is an Australian company who's, I'm afraid their name escapes me now, um, and then there's the Tesla ones and there's a wait list for those. So it's something if, you, if you've got people building new buildings or putting new roofs on, it might be worth getting a quote and just comparing. Um, but as I said, it still seems to be a bit more expensive. But if that's what you want to go for and you prefer the aesthetic of it, then it may be worth that extra bit of money. And how susceptible are the panels to things like hail damage and storm damage as well and those types of things? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So, well, there's there's a first part to it as well, which I should have said, and that's around maintenance. So generally speaking, as I said, the rain washes them. You don't need a great deal of maintenance. If we've had a long, dry summer or a dust storm, then it's worth cleaning them. My parents live on a very dusty rural property and they clean theirs about every two months. Um, but obviously, you've got to be very careful. I mean, they can get, you know, from a ladder halfway up and just hose them down So from their tank water. <laughs> so that's... um. You know, that's a consideration. And then the other thing, of course, is extreme weather events. So um, add your system onto your home and contents insurance. Uh, they are as strong, if not stronger, than a car windscreen. So generally speaking, they're fine through all weather. weather. But, of course, every now and then we do have a freak hailstorm that can actually smash a car windscreen and panels may get damaged. And I did speak to someone once who had one that was struck by lightning and he didn't actually realise. His system just didn't seem to be generating as much as he thought and then he had a look and one of them was just... Cracked. Wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah, it does happen. It's quite rare, but it does happen. Wow. Lucy, this has been amazing. You are just a treasure trove of information <laughs> and knowledge. And uh, it's been really fantastic to have you here and sharing so much wisdom and, and uh, education about solar energy systems with the UA community. So I'm incredibly grateful for your time. I'm going to pop all the links in uh, the blog so that people can find you, can find all of the resources that you've recommended and uh, and really think about this as a, as a possibility for their home, not just an afterthought or an add-on or a, oh, it would be nice to have, but something that we can actually budget in and really plan for and think, okay, this is realistic now. You know, we're, we're living in a time where this is far more accessible and far more available to us. And the more we think about it that way, the more that, as you say, the prices will come down. This is a supply and demand exercise. So, um, yeah. yeah, so thank you so much for your time. It's just been brilliant. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. Cheers. Wasn't that awesome? I hope that's given you a great start to understanding more about solar energy and solar energy systems, solar power systems, whether you're renovating or building. 
This is a really deep topic. There's a lot more to go into, but I hope that it's, this has given you a really good framework of what to consider, the kinds of questions to ask and the, the types of uh, resources that are available out there to connect yourself into to really get some great information and advice and support so that you can always make sure you're making the best selection for you, your location, your budget and your home. Now, make sure you tune in for our next episode because I'm going to share more great information with you in a simple guide to a sustainable home and head to the show notes and blog as well because all of the resources and all of the previous episodes can be found there. Now, did you know I've also been creating YouTube videos of my interviews uh, and those are all sitting on the blog and they're also on Undercover Architects YouTube channel. There's lots of other great information on the YouTube channel as well. So be sure to check that out. Lots of videos that I've done along, you know, over the over the recent years and I'm starting to build up much more of a library there of video content to really help you when you're building, renovating and designing your home. Now, meanwhile, please remember to share this season with your friends and family who might be planning a renovation or new build and share this podcast generally. I am so passionate about providing access to great quality information and professional expertise. I really want to teach you how to get it right in your future family home. So if you haven't, please head to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast so you always know when a new episode is fresh and ready to hit your ears. And also please rate the podcast and leave a review wherever you're located. This makes a massive difference to who iTunes shows the podcast to and whether they can uh, determine if it's relevant for them or not. Okay. Now I have a lot of uh, resources that I've mentioned in this episode. So I'm going to pop those in the show notes for you as well. So you can head there uh, if you want to do any further investigation yourself or grab some information from those resources. As always, my sincere gratitude and thanks to you. And thank you so much for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.